From multiple projected locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Mark LaCroix, I too make nice games. In this episode, we talk with Sammy Sati and Eric Sati, developers of Astral Gunners, to discuss early access in games. So, if everyone is ready, let's start. Did the intro sound like a music sound a little loud to you, Ellen? It was really powerful. Right. So the reason for that is, is that I accidentally looped it back through the re- audio recording. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and so we were hearing it in a feedback. But I have to say, and listeners, you can confirm, uh, you, you sounded like you weren't having any trouble at all, um, <laughs> even though it was blaring in your ears. I used to I, mean, I used to play a lot of band, uh-huh. and there was always someone screwing up in the ensemble, yeah, right? You have right. to just power through. <laughs> and this time it was you, Mark. Oh, no. <laughs> Everything is all my fault. We were just talking about how everything is always my fault. That's the, right. the secondary now, topic. The secondary yeah. theme of the evening of the uh, recording is Mark screwing everything up. Okay. The, well, the main theme with that out of the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello, Saudi Bros. Let's introduce our guests. Hello. Hello. How y'all doing? Doing good. I I do have to agree that everything is Mark's fault. Um, <laughs> okay. Cool. I'm glad we have. I, I have to. I have to admit, I, I, you know, when I first met Mark, didn't really like him, but over, <laughs> over time, I've learned that he's actually one of the most helpful people in the community, so first impressions aren't always That had a third act twist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for saying. And um, Saddy Bros, uh, you are, uh, I would have to say, the second tier brother team. In this community, second tier, Ooh, just by I mean, just by virtue of proximity. Yeah, I think. Well. <laughs> okay, okay. There's a little bias, I think. And that Stephen is always in my ear talking about how you know what his brother did or whatever. <laughs> and so this kind of forefront of my mind. Actually, that's a good question. I want to ask all this. Do you argue a lot? <laughs> um, I think we're both pretty agreeable people but that means that we'll go like a year agreeing on everything and then out of nowhere we argue about everything all at once wow we, so you're a bottle yeah, up i think type we're both family. pretty agreeable okay it's <laughs> interesting yeah. but we we've figured out the solution for getting past arguments where especially with this game i'm working on the coding and audio and eric's working on the art so both of us are free to give opinions and suggestions on anything the other person is doing. But, for example, if there's a like a, a, an art decision, Eric has final say on that. So if okay. I say this character looks dumb and I hate his <laughs> long arms or something, it's like, I don't care, he gets long arms. And I right, can't... Right. All he has to worry about is your approval and what's that worth. Right. Yeah. You know, that's really interesting. There are times where... There are times where we both have uh, opinions on like gameplay, like, oh, I think it should uh, play out like X, he thinks it should play out like Y, mm-hmm. and at those times, I think it'd be nice to have a third brother that yeah. would tie <laughs> for us. Yeah, that happens That's too much for me and my brother. Yeah. <laughs> well, during yeah. Fingence, you had Lane as the sort of third brother, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. who would sometimes mediate. Yeah, that's true. He did have that. That was kind of nice. Yeah. I, I know we're here to talk about early access, but this is such a rich conversation <laughs> because the two of you do split duties. Is it Did that happen by chance, or is that something that as you've worked on this game or together on other projects maybe, you sort of settle into this is what I'm going to get better at and leave the other things for the other? Or, or did you just get lucky that you kind of found this division of labor? I think at the inception, we always thought like, well, we have the skill sets. I can do the art. You can do the code and the audio. So I think from the get-go, we kind of had the duties split up. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah, that was a big thing was we kind of realized like, I mean, I've always been trying to do audio stuff. I was going to school for programming at the time because doing audio work doesn't really make money. Um, and then I had the the skill set of both of those. And I was like, hey, Eric's good at art. And I think he brought it up first. He was like, why don't we just make a game? And then, you know, the rest we started making a game. And... <laughs> I don't think we expected it to be as much work as oh. it was going to end up being. <laughs> Does anyone? <laughs> so much work. Well, let's talk about the work a little bit then, huh? Like y'all have y'all have released Astro Gunners in early access. It's been how long has it been in early access for it at this point? It's been just a little over a year. Okay. So the timeline hasn't played out exactly how we anticipated, oh. but early access still kind of helped us know where we were at 
actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and what what do you what do you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds interesting. So I guess. Um, let me think of how to how to. Yeah, I think I could this. say it. It's that like yeah. when you're just in your in you're working on the game, you can have all these grand ideas of like, oh, it's gonna change the world and solve world hunger. And then when you actually, <laughs> you know, when the rubber meets the road, mm-hmm. it's like, whoa, okay, here's where actually where we are. Uh, yeah, it, it it helped us put into perspective like how much of a priority it should be in our life. And I think um, we we hit a point where just we were just like, we got to release this, just see what the reception's going to be. And early access was a good way to get that initial impression out of people where mm-hmm. I think the the reality is like, you know, we found people who enjoy the game and play it. We've got people competing for um, world records and stuff. We actually got into a shmup competition. That was Ooh. really fun to see that play out. That's cool. Um, but also like it's it's not paying the bills. So that's a good thing to know. Like, all right, we can't survive off of this so we can't spend 80 hours a week working on this or else we'll be in the streets so yeah i think it's a good way to see that maybe like things could go better if you had like a perfectly planned release with a marketing plan and all of that but you're doing everything independently i think early access is a good way to like get a feeler out there for what the public actually thinks of your product mm-hmm. okay so well that's kind of fascinating too because like the way i've understood early access is that you you like have to market the, I mean, I guess this is general law of development, really. You have to market the game as you're building it, but it's more public facing in that, like, people can play the game and have opinions about how the game plays and things as you are both developing it and marketing it. And that seems hmm. like a difficult balance to, to, to manage. It's incredibly difficult. Okay. And to be honest, I think we've forgotten about the marketing side of things from time to time. Yeah. Um, which we we did a, a lot of pushes very early on the early access launch and then we had a recent update that we did another push on we were kind of waiting for a full marketing cycle to like have, have like paid advertisements stuff like that things that we, we don't want to put any money into that side of it until we actually have a finished product maybe it's oh. on switch and all that stuff until there's a full game mm-hmm. i think part of the appeal to early access to me is you do light marketing specifically like reaching out to the targeted community, which for us is like uh shoot 'em up fans who are really into the high scoring or one CC kind of gameplay. Yeah. Getting them to actually play it without all the noise of like a bunch of people playing it that might just be jumping into the genre for the first time, which we have gotten our fair share of those players. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's nice to have more of a targeted demographic playing the game and giving feedback. That's valuable. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to jump in there and say that when we bring it to shows like 2D Con, you do get a lot of the, um, you know, parent and kid, like newcomers. They never played the shoot 'em up genre. But in early access, we've got very pointed feedback. Mm-hmm. Like somebody suggested changing up one of uh, the red character's abilities and wrote a whole forum post on it. And, and oh. that kind of targeted feedback is really important. Yeah, that's true. I- that's that's good. That's good. That's good. Uh, bit of feedback, there. and that's sort of independent of who you're designing it for. Because uh, I mean, I was about to ask, like the you know when when I've shown off games at conventions, I was like, well, this is not the audience I'm going to sell to, but mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not personally as interested in the, in in like a hardcore demographic. So I want a lot of feedback from a more casual crowd or like gamers who who just stumbled onto the game. I want to know what they think. Mm-hmm. I want to know how approachable it is. And, and so that's valuable, I think. But as you describe, even if you are in that mindset, and I don't know that everybody is, you still want people who are really invested in your project to share their opinions because yeah. they're going to be, even if you're not going to take their suggestions whole cloth, they're the ones who know enough about your project. And so they're, it's more informed opinions, even if you don't agree with them, right? 100%. Absolutely. I think... The, the frustrating thing I've run into, and this is mostly just human nature, the people who do get invested enough into your game to play it enough to have that detailed feedback usually end up liking the game, so they have a hard time finding things to <laughs> criticize. Ah. So I've had a few things like that where I've had to learn how to like pull that knowledge out of people and like say, like what, what would you change? What would you think would make the game better? And a lot of times it's hard to get people to kind of comment on that because they they almost they they have opinions but they also like don't always want to share them so it's it like sometimes they want to like you want to hear the mean feedback and people just want to be nice it's like i (laughs) want to i want to actually i know we're a nice games club but sometimes mean people actually help make games better yeah yeah (laughs) 
Well, I, you know, I don't know if it's always that. It uh, might be that um, if someone's really invested in your game, they maybe have a problem with it and they've just worked around it. And it, it, they don't, yeah, exactly. it, they don't worry about it anymore. You know? So that's actually specifically on like the, uh, the shmup genre. A lot of people, it's a lot of like older people who still like the, like it's commonly known as like the dad genre because it's just <laughs> people who are like 30 and older who play them. So yeah. they're, a lot of the mindset from like old school gaming is like, if it's in the game, you got to work a way around it. You got to kind of basically overcome the challenges and you don't complain about something being cheap or anything like that. That mindset's actually horrible for early access. I <laughs> <laughs> huh. Uh, yeah. You have to kind of become amateur psychologists as well. You know, it's, yeah. it's a different type mm-hmm. of playtesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, but it's it's definitely a good fan base to make a game for as like a finished product, I think, which I think if we ever did another shoot 'em up again, I don't think early access would be I don't think it's the right genre for that specifically. Oh. Okay. Hmm. I think for this project we still made the right call, but I think a shoot 'em up it's much more of a like contained experience. It's hard to really give all of the little detailed feedback on uh, on a lot of things. And I would say in general shmups are like a like you play through the whole game and then you're kind of done and early access is changing over time. And I always wondered how many people, you know, give it one shot and that's it. Or how many people come back and play it a few times? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I've been wondering if, as far as expectations, like for the players, the people who are involved in early access, are they, you know, will they come back and play the full game? Is that something that they expect to be able to do because it's changed enough to warrant that? Or I don't know. I'm curious about, how that lines up with your expectations for the work that you've done with your audience and the genre and kind of the intersection of that. I think one thing about the genre, so we even actually had a really good opportunity where Cave, the developer who made um, a lot of shoot 'em ups that inspired us, so like Esp Galuda, or I don't even know, ESP Galuda, Mushihimi Sama, a bunch of names that are hard to pronounce. Um, staff from their team streamed our game and on their stream they even said like i'll wait for the physical version of the game and yeah that's oh. that's kind of the mindset of a lot of people are patient enough to wait for the full game but also like want people to be impatient or willing to play an in- unfinished product but yeah it's it's like it's encouraging to hear that of like oh the, they'd actually buy the physical copy but also like we'd like you to play it now right <laughs> <laughs> the feedback's important especially yeah. if you're like doing something for the first time you, you want to get that critical feedback so you can kind of adjust to match players' expectations. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's the, the main thing. Like, we still have a vision for the game, but we also want to work with the community to kind of make a game that fits the expectations or maybe some things we overlooked and we want to hear that criticism. Mm-hmm. I think I went off on a tangent there. Oh, but, no, you're, yeah. yeah, I think you answered it. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to ask about uh, building that community to, to get that feedback. Like, how, what is the process like doing that? Because like the impression I get with early access games is like, with any game in general is like you get released once, right? And so like when an early access game comes out, that's like the hype moment. And then even when the game is done, it's at you know version one point or whatever. Um, people don't think of it as its actual release; they think of it as like you know a new edition of the game that they already bought or already saw. Mm. Um, but I want to know like how how early access has helped you build that community so that like you, you can get this feedback that you're looking for. You can get that, you know, people playing it and going all by it when it's ready or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Hyped, but not too hyped or yes. something. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think what you're asking is what's the difference between releasing and then doing updates as a result of community feedback versus early access where you're actually going towards a 1.0. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. How do how is managing the community different in those cases? Yeah. So I think, I mean, there's, I think mostly what we've learned is a lot of what not to do's for managing a community or building a community because (laughs) it's like the only Um, way to learn. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, A lot of the times we were reaching out to um, specific people who have channels or possible interest in the game and message them directly, or they would post about the game on a discord and people would message us directly with feedback. And it's like, it's, it's nice to get that direct feedback, but also we've been struggling to figure out how to get everyone to talk in a central location. And we've thought about making a Discord, but I think we missed the mark for getting the most people into that as possible. 
We were or the original plan was to use the Steam forums, but it seems mm-hmm. like people don't like using those anymore. So that's been a real struggle. Like, there's so many places out there now because I know even when early access was first around, Discord wasn't as much of a thing. Right. Um, it's it's hard to decide where do you put the central communication, but if you mm-hmm. want to reach the most people, you got to go through Twitter, YouTube, Discord steam etc and everyone wants to talk in their own place so i think it's a real challenge to get a centralized community in in a game right now Mm. i think i think using the steam forums as the go-to was the 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 not to do kind of thing that we learned Ah. Mm -hmm. is that that is what you're using currently right now is the steam forums that's what we're pushing people to use, but mm-hmm. I think people still message us directly on Twitter or post something in like one of the shmup forums and tag us on it or something. So Is there's that- there's a lot of scattered uh, community base, and actually, even in the shmup community right now, I know there's a lot of people who are working to try and like pull everything together, and but that's always a struggle too. Yeah. Is that fractured nature of that of that community? Is that something where? Like you say, you made a mistake focusing on the Steam forums, but would it be equally a mistake to focus on something else, or is it that it's just Discord's the way to go these days, or is it just you have to kind of you can you got to pick one, and you're going to lose the others? I think I think that's actually probably the right mindset. I think Discord's the way to go now, and I think early research we might have gone too much. Of, I think a lot of doing stuff like the community building, you've got to really actually be a forward thinker and paying attention to stuff. If you're working on a game all day, you kind of lose track of a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. we yeah. looked at old games as examples and older games that did early access well, use the Steam forums, but then looking at games that are doing early access well now are using discords and kind of abandoning the Steam forums. Yeah. So Right, right. Okay. Yeah, and how, how do you do that research? Because, I mean... You're you're always going to be up against what worked for the last team. Yeah, I think. I mean, for me, the research was like looking at early access games that we liked, seeing what they did, looking at their um, communities, where they built them, what they did for that. But I think the important thing that I don't think we put enough thought into is basically thinking about if you heard about a game, where would you want to talk about it? And right now, I think everyone would say Discord, because that's where they are for everything. Yeah. Which is a simple thing to answer, but then you overthink stuff, and yeah, sometimes sure. pick the wrong choice, but... Sure. Well, I mean, that's part of the properties of, like, you know, your release. It's like, sometimes you make a hard decision, and you don't necessarily have enough information for it, but, you know, you want to do it quickly so you can gain information and know what to do better later. Mm-hmm. It's up to know what the right call is. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Except for in hindsight. <laughs> Except yeah, that is easy. And, yeah, you can always go back and just be like, yeah. the main lesson I think we learned was just like, don't worry about being a perfectionist. Just put your stuff out there because then you learn that important stuff quicker. Yeah, I think we've kind of made Astral Gunners like three times technically, uh-huh. and if we would have just released the very bad version of Astral Gunners four or five years ago, we would have learned all of those lessons way quicker, and then another project would have been basically ready to go with better intel and knowledge so mm-hmm. i think anyone out there who's like working on a game and putting all of their heart and soul into it save some of their heart and soul for project two or project three because yeah. that's going to probably be the one that people find mm-hmm. yeah i definitely recommend smaller starting with smaller projects you know what i what i hear in this is the sort of like deep sigh of a, of a team that's, that's made a game, right? Yeah. And, that, and it's really familiar, but yeah. what's interesting yeah. is, that, is that the game is not technically finished yet. So you kind of right. have a lot of that, that post-release depression that, that, that a lot of developers have that, you know, um, you have, you, the game's not done yet, technically. You still have an, and you now have an audience that you are catering to. So how is it, how do you keep yourselves engaged and not, and not just give up and go to project two? Cause this game is, it has, it has people who want, want to see it get better and reach that 1.0. Right. So how do you keep yourselves motivated? That is definitely the difficult part about mm-hmm. uh, releasing early access. It's keeping the fire, keeping the motivation mm-hmm. because before early access, I remember this huge uh, burst where we were working crazy hours. We had all this fire, all this motivation, yeah, once once we released it, we had the post-release uh, depression, as you said. And I always try to um, capture the energy of, of other media. After I watch a good movie, try to translate that that uh, excitement into uh, personal projects. Mm-hmm. That's actually fascinating that you bring it up in that way. Because like, I know that for a little while, probably a little longer than a little while, we had <laughs> thought about releasing Fingence as an early access game. I think partly because like 
I think we would end up feeling like beholden to a community <laughs> <laughs> to release the game after a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't want to commit to that. There's an irony there, yeah. Which is when you're working by yourself and no, and you're not, you haven't shown it to the world yet, mm-hmm. and maybe you haven't done all the pre-release marketing you should. You you sometimes have more energy because there's nothing, there's no negative feedback, there's yeah. no nothing doesn't meet expectations yet, right? Right. Nothing's harder than it seems. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. so we thought we we had thought yeah. that like releasing the game would help us. We, you know, see people would see the game, say it's good, and they would give us a bunch of feedback and stuff. And, and you'd get that motivation. Game, we'd get that motivation. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily sound like that was the case. I think having positive reception is a good motivator, but also mm-hmm. just even seeing people talk about the game is a good motivator. Yeah. Even the alternative, if no one's... If people are saying bad things about it or people aren't playing it, that almost weirdly motivates me more because I want to prove people wrong then. <laughs> but if people... <laughs> I don't know. Um, most people, we haven't actually really gotten that much negative reception about the game. I think there was one person was streaming it and uh, someone in their Twitch chat said something like, this is a cheap knockoff of cave games. And I was like, if that's the worst thing someone can say about it, that's actually pretty <laughs> cool. So yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. You, yeah, and all of the uh, all the feedback has been positive. Like the reviews are all positive. So that's always. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> It killed our Discord. Okay. Oh no, the feedback was positive. The feedback was positive. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all remember when we recorded that uh, that fancy Patreon episode where um, Ellen goes through a bunch of Mark's things? Have we ever recorded a fancy <laughs> Patreon? Say fancy. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was... I mean, in that case, no. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, it was a fun That's not episode. how I remember it. <laughs> It was fun. fun thing. Yes. I don't think it was fancy, but now I kind of do want to record a fancy one. I mean, you'll find out if you were Patreon. Yeah. If you uh, followed us on patreon.com. Smooth transition. Very smooth. pitch. I love it. it. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Was it fancy? Was it not fancy? You decide. All right. Well, okay, so we were, we were talking about this uh, thing we recorded before yes. we moved to the new clubhouse. Right. Yeah. And we've talked about it on the show before as a tease, mm-hmm. but I think it's finally up yeah. on, on Patreon. Hopefully. And you can check for yourself. Yes. <laughs> by becoming a patron of the program. Yeah. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Nice Games Club. Stephen, uh, what, what, uh, what awaits them? I mean, hopefully the episode we're talking about now. Yeah. Um, pictures of Ellen's dog. Yes. Were promised on there and provided. Yes. Oh, oh, yeah, I think okay. that's like our first post. <laughs> yeah. I could so get more pictures that's too. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of like extra bonus content that we put on there. I think we did like an episode where like we watched a YouTube video together and like talked about the implications of that topic. Oh yeah, Ellen made did a s- experiment on us. Yeah. And I don't. I recall doing very badly. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to see Mark fail in the thing, <laughs> yeah. yes. Uh, it's yeah. It's a whole lot of fun content. Yeah. Um, it's it's, it's been a while now, but one of the first big things we put up on Patreon was our big robust and working sessions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, hours and hours of us actually designing a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can check all that out, as well as the fun things we put up in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, at Patreon.com/slash Nice Games Club. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're back. Oh, I hear something oh. now. Hey. We're back? We're back. Yeah, it's almost, yeah, it's almost in 100% it's on our end, right? Um, yeah, but we're still recording, so that's just a big chunk taken out. Okay, yeah, that's um, cool. We let that out. So I want to talk about that feedback because one of the, as we were sort of talking about this, like you want to get that energy from positive feedback. I can't imagine, and you confirmed it. I can't imagine general player feedback being anything but stellar for Astral Gunners. Let's just that's my pitch for this game. It's like it's, it's so easy to pick up and play. It has enough depth. It has enough variety and replayability. And so I'm glad to hear that that's the feedback you got. So is that I know that when we released Widget Satchel, mm-hmm. a couple of people were really, really positive on it. And and that that high lasted like twenty seconds. Yeah. It was it which is not fair <laughs> to those people. Who yeah. Like who one, you know, gave enough of their energy to the game, but also were able to get their you know, their uh praise back to us. Um did you guys have that similar thing? Did that, like um were you just lucky that all your feedback was great and so the the balance was good or how do you how do you make sure that you appreciate that feedback and and let it keep motivating you i I think actually one thing that's helped for us is we didn't ever really get any burst of anything a lot of astral gunners so far has been a slow trickle of people finding out about it then actually playing it Mm -hmm. then saying positive stuff about it so that has kind of helped a bit with that although there's one point in history in particular that I'll always remember where our slow trickle stopped, kind of got no one new playing the game. Oh. And that was right when we were at nine positive reviews on Steam. Oh. And you get to, to show up as positive on the algorithm, you need 10. Yeah. I, I think there were like three months there where I would refresh it every morning, just be like, oh, no new review, no new review. And then finally, when we saw the 10th one, I was like, Finally, Fine. we have positive that shows up, and <laughs> I think it was past the like on launch bonus on Steam. So like, it's that's probably one good thing about early access, which I think we'll figure out once we do the full release. Is like, does having that time to just let people trickle in and find the game on their own help yeah. build up the algorithm? Finding something on Steam, you're gonna look through and scroll at stuff, and if you see something with very positive or mostly positive, you're more likely to check it out than something that has no reviews or only negative reviews. So when it shows up again as a new release, that might help, but also Steam has so many games now that I think it's probably better to just try and get it on like Xbox or Switch or stuff like that so that Mm. people can actually see it. Mm. That alone in itself seems like marketing, where I think Steam is a very hard place to put your game now. Yeah, yeah. I, just um, like having a Switch release, just the, that information is marketing to, yeah. to Steam yeah. writers, right? It's like, oh, yeah. these developers are real, mm-hmm. right? Which is that's, yeah, exactly. that's not fair at all because, right. you know, people make PC-only games all day and all night, mm. and they're way better than a lot of Switch games. Yeah. But that is the perception people have. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's a sign of authenticity. And so then, then you don't have to worry about you can take a little bit more of a gamble on something with not as many reviews and so on. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think Steam used to be that where there's always been tons of PC games. And if something was on Steam, you're just like, oh, okay, this is a legit game. Yeah. Yeah. But now Steam's kind of lost that credibility with people in a sense. People still like using Steam, but it's not, you see a game on Steam and immediately think, oh, this is a real game. This is polished. This is probably worth my time. Right. Whereas... Switch is slowly starting to get past that point, I think, where mm-hmm. now they, they kind of opened the floodgates and made it a lot easier to put your games on there, which, from an artistic perspective, that's great. It's always great to see a lot of new ideas. From like a marketing standpoint, it doesn't mean as much if you can't actually get your game on there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's that, it seems that to be getting more saturated. Yeah. Steam seems to be getting more saturated. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true, too. 
Yeah. Uh, one thing I, I, I just realized while we were talking about it is that, like, the benefit of, one of the benefits of early access is that, you know, while you're working on the game, people are, can, they have the option to purchase your game. So you can make, you can get a little bit of money off of that. Um, if y'all don't mind, would you talk about, like, the, the financial benefits of early access? I know that, like, earlier on, you were saying that it wasn't um, financially viable to, like, work on this full time, but. The way we've been describing this is, from an artistic perspective, the release went great. People played the game. They liked it. From a business perspective, can't can't live off of this. Okay. Yeah. It's not enough. Yeah. You gotta be you gotta make like ten times more than what we're making to even think about that. So mm-hmm. it's I mean, it depends on how you look at it. So okay. it's at the end of the day, if the the goal of a game shouldn't be to make money or like anything artistic, that should be a nice side part of it but also it'd be nice to make money off of it <laughs> yeah yeah well it's um it, thinking about early access and like what games would be good for it, what games would not be as good for it and all those like the fact that you can sell the game before it's done it always feels like oh right that's like an afterthought um when you guys were making that decision to bring it to early access was that at all a motivation or because you know as uh, it sounds like you had pretty wide eyes going in to like the potential financial rewards of releasing a game at all in this world. Was that at all a motivation that you could start selling it early or was that just like a, an extra thing about it? Mm. So I don't think that was like a, a real um, drive to, we just wanted to get it out there and get feedback from people more than, um, more than trying to make a profit from it. If that was, if I understood you correctly, mm-hmm. I, I think if anything, having, having the game for sale in a sense, kind of make sure that we wanted to make money from it in early access to keep development going, but it does add an extra air of seriousness to the game and make sure, sure that the people playing it are serious about wanting to play it yeah. if they're willing oh, to yeah. pay money for it. So whereas like a, a demo we thought about doing, and I actually think that might be the right way to go with a, with a shoot 'em up because so much of a shoot 'em up is built around the arcade era of gaming where you show up to the arcade cab, you play it, and within five seconds, you'll know if you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, once they did finally decide to buy it, played it, and were like, oh, this game actually feels really good to play, you can't get any of that from a video. So yeah. it's, I think a demo might have been the right way to go as opposed mm-hmm. to early access, um, just so people can actually feel the game, and then they would buy it based off of that. But I'm always afraid with a shmup being something that's designed to be like 30 minutes long, if you have a five-minute demo, that's actually probably a pretty fun demo if you've designed the game to be replayable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. How much is it just scratch that the itch and then they're never going to come back? Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. What's next? Right. Because I remember so many games that I, that I played in, like, demo discs back in the day that mm-hmm. I never even thought about buying the full game because the demo was so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Plus, making a demo is a whole different kind of work. Right. And yes. So it's, it's, not, it's just, um, you know, uh, half a dozen of one, six of the other, right? Yeah, and I think it'd probably be easier to make a demo after the game's already finished because yeah. then you don't have that thing where you're partway through development and you're just like, oh, we added this feature, so now that's not in the demo. And it's like, do you actually go back and update your demo or do you just keep that as the <laughs> right. old version of the game, but then it's not serving the original purpose anymore? Right, 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 right. right. Yeah, it's just no matter what way you go, it seems like the one constant is just like you never have enough time to plan but you should probably spend a little bit more time planning, like even though you don't yeah. have that time, that, right? I think that's the biggest thing we've learned is if we ever make a game again, we're writing out an entire plan on paper, including the the, the biggest, and I'm sure you guys have run into this too, where scope creep is probably the biggest <laughs> issue that you run into if you're just winging it while making a game because oh, yeah. you play one game, you have a great idea based off of that, you just drive for a few hours and you just spend time thinking it's like oh this would be great in this game but it'd be better to just plan it all out on paper and if you have any ideas save it for the next project yeah (laughs) you know that's interesting like i feel like the longer i've been a developer the less susceptible i am to scope creep because i know how much work it is yeah yeah that's fair (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. it's fair it's it's not just about like a great idea saving it for the next one it's like knowing when a great idea is not the idea for this project yeah not just that like i don't have the time but it's actually better for the project to pare it down a little bit more Mm -hmm. and that's a hard lesson to learn especially when you're working on like your first big project yeah exactly because you don't have the time you don't haven't had the depth of experience and the length of experience to know that you will probably come back around to that idea that there will be time still you know like you don't have the trust in yourself that you'll be able to find it again Mm -hmm. yeah 
Do you think early yeah, access that's... has helped you with that? Because you now have the game has kind of not if not its final form, at least its rough, you know, globular shape that people have seen and they know what to expect from it. So you're not going to you're not as likely perhaps to add a whole brand new set of mechanics. Or is it that you have players kind of needling you to try something new or do something different? We're, I mean, off of that note, we're 100% in the just let, let's just get this done mode because (laughs) I think that was a big thing where if like early access would have been way past expectations and we could have like hired extra people to help work on the game, then we could have added more. But that's the thing is like getting that very realistic perspective of like people like this game, but you know, not everyone likes the game. So let's just keep itself contained in just like a classic shmup kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we did run into that um, scope creep thing where we were adding features that we wanted to test out in early access and just kind of realized that it didn't actually fit the vision of the game. Oh, I think the uh, power-ups that we added as unlockables in the game... I was going to bring in, it up. Yeah. In, <laughs> in retrospect, like when we were planning, it we was like, yeah, this will be cool. This will be fun. And then after putting it in there and seeing how it played out, we were just like, we really wanted to just make a classic arcadey game with kind of no fluff and just have like the core of it be what it is. Like you play the game, it's all there. There's maybe a few unlockable things here and there, but nothing that's like truly game changing. Like you have to unlock this power up to beat this stuff. Once we put that in and just actually saw people stream the game and play with those on, that was a big, oh crap. I actually don't like seeing people play it this way. <laughs> I do think that I like the power-ups a little more than you do. Here we go, here we go. All right, all right. They add some replayability, and I think for the casuals, I think it's like fun to slow down all the bullets, mm. but um, to Sammy's point, it takes away from that um, simple arcade vision. Sure, yeah. The, yeah. This is definitely the, the main dynamic. I think that actually between the two of us has made Astral Gunners an interesting game is I'm always pushing way further towards like if people are scared off because the game's too intimidating or hard or whatever, whatever, who cares? They don't, they can play another game and Eric's <laughs> always more of like the we should make the game fun for everybody. Fun everybody for should be able to play it. So mm-hmm. it, it is fun to have that back and forth on stuff. So we do have different perspectives on different elements of the game at the end of the day. So Yeah, and to jump if, in there, when we started taking the game to like 2D Con in 2015, I remember taking the feedback from like the you know parents with kids who would play it and like, oh well they had trouble with this, so we should help uh help them get along. But as we've kind of approached the end, when we finally reach our target audience, they don't really care about the stuff we added for mm. mom and the kid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So So it really goes both ways. Yeah. It does. That's the important thing about going back to that point about early access and having it cost money. You actually get to see what audience would actually pay for the game and what do they think and what do they want, which is very different from what kind of people. Because there's, I think all of us are probably like this in some way where there's the personality type that likes to play pretty much every type of game and kind of see a lot of games. And then there's the people who are specialists and they have like their one, two, or three genres that they play. Yeah. And I think charging really reach those people mm. and they have much different opinions than the jack of all trades players yeah that makes sense well i've definitely found mm. that a- a- astral gunners is a good balance between those things like it does feel very approachable but it does seem like if you really expect to be any good at it you kind of have to like really you know knuckle down like and get get to it really yeah. work um yeah. but it doesn't i mean that's just that's i i'm not a hardcore shoot 'em up mm. player but I, f- I feel like i know enough about the genre I feel like it would appeal to that group, but also as someone who's not hardcore into that, like nothing about that game scares me away. Mm-hmm. Even though yeah. it does feel very intense from yeah. from jump. Yeah, that is good to hear because yeah. that's always one thing that that that's been a fear throughout the game. And I think we probably spent probably like half of the brain power has been spent on just like the scoring system alone, and realizing that maybe like ninety nine percent of players don't even engage with that part of the game is <laughs> discouraging. But when you see that 1% that really gets into it, oh, yeah. Yeah. then you you know it's worth it because it's kind of like you don't need to engage with that side of the game to enjoy it. But if you do, then a lot of the game starts to make more sense, I think. But that's also, like I, I think, more of the old school game design with like Secrets and Mario and stuff like that where yeah. there was a lot more confidence in the development in games where like developers... I think a lot of developers have kind of lost this where to make a game kind of feel really complete, you kind of need to just trust that people will 
spend as much time as they want with it and try and find your secrets and stuff and you don't need to make sure that everyone sees every part of the game yeah because part of the fun of a game is like talking to someone and they found something that you didn't or they figured out a strategy that you didn't so yeah. Yeah. having that dynamic element to it's important mm-hmm. and it's harder to do nowadays too with you know internet and things you just mm-hmm. look up yeah. endings on youtube yeah. or whatnot yeah so yeah i think like uh having that is is a good thing to have um i think it's just yeah, I think it's just difficult, more difficult than it was in the past. Mm-hmm. And our yeah. secrets are already on YouTube. Somebody made yeah. a video explaining <laughs> how to get every medallion. Oh, wow. That, we, made, we made those hard on purpose. <laughs> spelled out. You're going to switch them up for uh, when the release comes out? Ah. <laughs> we might. Well, then, then, then the video becomes useless. That was actually one thing we noticed about Early Access is like, People make strategy guides or videos about uh, how to do stuff. And it's like, do we change this to make it better? Or do we leave it so that this person's video stays accurate and they don't have to delete it? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, that's really rough when your game is small, too, because you want to make sure that yeah. any any material that someone else has made for your game, you want to respect in that. And also, you yeah. it's kind of rare. You don't, you don't always get... You want to uh, take advantage of all the attention you can get. That's a really tough challenge. On the other hand, they wrote that as, like, labor of love, you know? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. so maybe they would be fine with updating it. I don't. <laughs> wow. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> we I, I think we we ended up leaving it mostly because we just wanted to focus on other stuff. Yeah. But yeah, that that was yeah. Another thing that we actually added at the last minute was like hidden medals that you could collect, which I didn't want to do, and I think Eric suggested it, and it ended up actually fitting in perfectly with like the hardcore and casual gameplay kind of thing because. Nice. I think a lot of people love just finding secret medals. It's it's a fun element yeah, to a game. It's something that yeah. makes sense to a lot of people. Like mm-hmm. when they see, you know, the three empty coin slots in Mario, they're like, oh, there's three dragon coins I need to collect here. Mm-hmm. And as like a, a survival player, you want to know where are all the secrets? You know, yeah. where did I miss the coin? And if you're a casual player and you don't feel that bad missing them because you know they're there for when yeah. you want to like really mm-hmm. uh, t- put some more attention to it. It doesn't feel like it's a it's a thing that's taken from you. It's like, well, okay, that's for the people who are hardcore. Yeah. Maybe that'll be me someday. Yeah. Or that's actually one thing I really loved about the most recent Zelda and Mario on Switch. Yeah. Is they went super extreme on that design philosophy of like, <laughs> here's the core game. It maybe takes like eight to ten hours to finish, and then there's like thirty hours of extra content at the end of the game. Yeah. Because then you got like mm-hmm. the people who are like, all right, I'm busy. I got a lot of stuff to do. All right, I beat the main thing. I can go on to the next thing but if you actually have the time to be dedicated into it there's a lot more to explore it kind of gets rid of that like getting halfway through a game and dropping it and then feeling bad because you never beat it feeling mm-hmm. yeah yeah because yeah. you didn't beat it you just didn't get all yeah the, you know 700 moons or whatever it is right yeah. or whatever but that's it is. for other people it's fine yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well and like one of the things because i i rarely am someone who collects all the things in a game um, but one of the things I like about collecting some of the things in a game is because then I have that appreciation when one of my friends comes up and says, yeah, I did get all the Korok seeds. <laughs> I'm like, you, wow. you are a goddess. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. There's something about having a taste of that too. It's like, I spent, you know, three hours trying to get everything. I would need to spend 72 more hours to get the <laughs> yeah. rest. I've, I've yeah. had, I've had my fill of this experience. Yeah. Yeah. I will now mm-hmm. go for the final boss. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, part of that is just moving, like beating the game, I think used to always be like maybe 70 or 80% and then 100% is the extra 20% of the game. But yeah. like, like moving, beating the game to 20% really kind of helps with the attention span that I think exists because of how many games are out there. Because yeah. Yeah. I don't even think it's an attention span problem. I think there's just so many games to play. Right. It's yeah. hard to like keep up with all of them. Absolutely. And when different aspects of a game like pull at you in different ways... You know, if you're seeking out the thing that gives you the most thrill in games in general, once you've got that from a game, if you're not one of the people who gets it from getting all the Korok seeds, but like if you're one of the people who gets it from beating the main storyline, then there's just another game with another storyline waiting for you Mm -hmm. when you're done with this first one. So that totally makes sense. It's not really like an intention span issue. It's just there's just a lot of supply. It's really interesting that we, we went on this tear about this thing about games and you were describing adding something like this at the end and you weren't sure about it. But now as you talk about it, it does seem so obvious. Every game development story has a couple of those moments yeah. where you're like, oh, I resisted this. And then once I did it, I realized this is exactly what I was looking for. And, and now, and now mm-hmm. I can actually express all the ways. Because you don't talk about your game the way you talk about other games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, know, you talk about the games you play or the games you like or the games your friends are working on. 
and you don't actually f- view your own game that way. So yeah. it's kind of hard sometimes to to make those smart decisions right. because you're just too close to it. Right. So yeah. it's it's good. I mean, that's nice that you the two of you have that balance where you're able to challenge each other and then and then find the right answer between the two of you. Yeah, for sure. Again, the good balance between us is just like the different mentalities and how we want people to perceive the game. So like Eric's a lot nicer and wants people to all enjoy the game and I'm a lot meaner and I just want, you know, I I mean, part of it's also like thinking about what kind of games really draw you in. And I still remember Dark Souls just reinvigorated my love for gaming because it was a one difficulty game. It was a challenge and you had to actually like devote time into learning the mechanics. Mm -hmm. It wasn't whereas like I remember I think the game I played before that that made me stop playing games for a while was Borderlands, which when you died in that game, you showed up back at the same spot. Mm -hmm. So I actually like fell asleep while playing the game because there was no (laughs) no threat to dying. Yeah. Like I I, like now that it's a bad game, I had a lot of fun playing at co-op, but it it didn't like engage me in the same way that like a competitive multiplayer game does or anything like that where you have to stay focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the risk of the cost of failure as well. Yeah. 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 I, I do think it's impossible to make a game that appeals to literally everyone because every change that you make is going to alienate someone. Yeah. So that's another good thing about having so many games out there is like, now I feel like there almost is a game for everyone out there. And anyone who complains about there not being any good games anymore, just like, isn't looking at the indie scene. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's true. Very true. So, so I want to ask, um, to, Get back to early access. What kinds of oh, things? Yeah. <laughs> right, that's the topic. Uh, <laughs> what kinds of things would you want to advise others if, who are looking to maybe go into early access? Like, what things should they prepare for, um, and maybe what things that you like wish you had done ahead of time? Yeah, we've been talking big picture, but like, mm-hmm. what are the literal items you need on your checklist? Yes, before you can start this process, make sure. And we actually mostly had this set up but we probably could have been better about it make sure that you can actually finish your game if nobody buys it i think that's okay. an important thing uh-huh. to keep in mind because the one thing that i, I think if you finish if you even if you like delay the release of an early access game and it finally gets released you still have a pretty decent reputation but if you do the thing where you put a game in early access it doesn't do well then you scrap it then you try and release another game i know for sure that's going to be shooting yourself in the foot because people mm. will find a way to look at your previous games and be like, well, they didn't finish this one. So why would I buy this one? This is probably half baked. So yeah. I think just making sure that you'll stick through the whole game, whether it's a good or a bad release is probably the most important mindset to have. Yeah. And well, just open from, and like the people who paid for it too, you, mm-hmm. you do kind of owe a product to the people who actually paid for your game. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important thing to think about. Yeah, I think being open and honest is a, a pretty big thing. I mean, I think we've all heard the story about the Steam game that just kind of lies to people about what mm-hmm. they're actually getting into mm-hmm. and just trying to be clear about, about the reality of things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's really tough because there's a lot of imagining the future you do when you make your game. It's like, when, when this feature is done, I'm going to work on this next feature and then I'm going to write the marketing material. You, know, you kind of like have all these ideas. Like, well, I don't have any idea how it's going to work, but... It, that's what that's what the roadmap is, mm-hmm. and so that's really good advice to just to know for certain that no matter that you're not relying on any particular outcome uh, in order to get the things done you need to get done. That's really good. That's, re- that's yeah. a, res- a responsible take because if you're making an indie game, you're already gambling with your life. <laughs> so you know, there's there's no way to be completely judicious about your your activities. But yeah, you're 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 working with proper customers now, and then you do have that responsibility. I uh, Also on that, I do think uh, one thing that we did do right that I would also recommend to people is make sure that like your core game is finished, mm. and then the only thing that you have to do is add in content. So like extra levels, extra characters, maybe a few extra bonus features, but by the time we went into early access, the controls, the mechanics, the core gameplay was finished. We just had to finish making two more levels and like three secret bonus levels, kind of. Okay. Um, we had an extra character in there, but I think we've scrapped that at this point because, again, we're just like, let's just finish this kind of mm-hmm. mode. Yeah. So I think that would be another big important thing to suggest to people is like, make sure your game's actually like kind of done and you just have to finish the rest of the the content being like levels kind of right the, or se- the that second 90 for the way your game right? works <laughs> yeah, the second. yeah the se- that is actually a really great way to put it where the first 90 percent and then yeah 
Yeah. You'll probably think you're waiting too long to put in early access, but you have no idea how long that second 90% is really going to take. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. And then and having that audience there to help you with that polish where you're not adding to the core loop any longer, which can be disheartening and it's not fun anymore when you're just trying to like yes. f- do the oh, menus man. and fix that one edge case. And yeah. you're not, it's, there's, it's less excitement in that second 90%. If you have that responsibility to an audience and you have, you're building a community, that can help you get through it. But it, I guess it's not for everybody. I mean, it still scares me. Yeah. But I, I can see, the, so, I can really see the appeal. So I'm, yeah, I'm actually kind of interested in your guys' thoughts on this because that that's a really interesting point of like what part of making a game is actually fun. Because I think I'm on the same boat where like coming up with the mechanics and the core gameplay loop is the fun part to me, and then making a game for that to exist in is actually like all the work and the not fun part. Mm-hmm. Like I actually despise level design. I, <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I don't know how people buy and play Mario Maker. It makes no sense to me. <laughs> you know, to some extent, I agree with you. I do like having a lot of the big systems stuff and thinking that through and figuring all that stuff. And I like the little tiny tweak things, but I want all the systems in place before I can. Or I want like the I want someone to make the level and then I'll adjust the block positions. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't want to make the level myself a yeah. lot of the time. You and I are the opposite on that. I yeah. much prefer the, like, I love level design. Yeah. I think that's where it all comes together. Mm. Um, but I think that's, that's you have to find what's, what it, when you decide whether you're going to go in early access or not, or what, or what your release strategy is, or what you're going to put in that second 90%, yeah. right? Because it's not always the same stuff. Uh, you do have to think about what it is that you, what, what can motivate you without having that extra bit, or what going into early access uh, will prevent you from having a lot of motivation for yeah. and make sure you get all that stuff done before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like dividing up your own sort of workload as a, as a team or as a solo dev, but having that self-awareness is so challenging. Mm. So I don't know that I would recommend that you have to have that figured out because I think that's a big ask. It's going to be different for every project, too. but then it's a risk. And I mean, like yeah. anything else, yeah. Right? I don't like you identify it as a risk. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's useful to, you know, it's useful in your, your planning. Well, let me back up all that. You want to make a plan, right? But mm-hmm. you also need to be able to adapt your plan. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the thing will never become a reality. Right. And identifying risks, even if you know that you can't do anything about them yet, or there might be, you know, they're risks. They're not guarantees. Identifying those can help you with that planning mm-hmm. and also help you decide when you need to change your plan. There's benefit in, you know, putting it on your list, even if it's not necessarily something you have to do something about right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Does, does that answer the question? <laughs> Interviewees. <laughs> Oh yeah, I forgot what I. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is uh, I'm the host of Nice Games Club now. Uh, this, is, this is my podcast. Uh, okay, so you can edit this episode, <laughs> right? Oh, actually, no, you guys can have it back. You guys can have it back. I don't want to do that. It doesn't sound like that. Sounds like level design to me. I don't know. <laughs> it's like right now we're making the mechanics of the podcast. Right, this is uh-huh. the fun part. Yep. <laughs> Uh, it's really tough to yeah like uh, just stay motivated on the one like on the stuff that's not fun but needs to exist to make things fun i think i think that's mm -hmm. yep yeah it's hard (laughs) the real work yeah Mm -hmm. i think we covered it yeah but i feel like there's always so much more to talk about with you guys and about astral gunners is there anything you want to say about early access or about your what, what your plan is if you want to talk a little bit about that I mean, I think I think the important thing is always just like keeping realistic expectations. Even we even thought we had realistic expectations and they weren't realistic. So <laughs> that's an important thing for people to consider is I think always adapting to what the current game market is like. And I think early access kind of had its heyday. I don't know if it's as big of a thing now unless you already have an established fan base. Mm. It's the same thing with Kickstarter, where if you want a Kickstarter to be successful now, you almost need to have had two or three projects under your belt so people know to trust you in a sense. Yeah. So I think it is uniquely hard as a first project to get people on board for an early access game. Yeah, that, that's what I've heard too. Is that I, the game, I think a lot of the games that have been really successful in early access were going to be successful regardless because they had a large marketing team backing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not as uh, small team friendly as it yeah. was in the past, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, that goes back to the gaming market just being as saturated as it is now as marketers become more and more 
important to an industry as more and more people are trying to sell stuff in it. Mm -hmm. So I think the important thing now is if you have any friends who work in marketing or are going to school for marketing, uh, be nice to them. Be friends (laughs) with them. (laughs) Good people. They are... They are probably the most important people in the industry right now. Yeah, it's, those those lessons are universal. To whether you launch an early access or you have a 1.0 release launch instead, it, the same lessons seem to apply. Yeah. yeah. Um, to build yeah. a community, get some launch buzz, do some proper marketing, take it seriously. And it seems like early access is sort of beside the point uh, when it comes to that element of it anyway. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. And I think the the challenging thing about Early, the most challenging thing about early access, I don't know if we covered this earlier, but we, we might have kind of skimmed over it, but developing your game in isolation is a lot less stressful. I think we were talking about this with Fingence a little bit, mm-hmm. but then once you release the game in early access and you have to work on trying to get the word out and you're still working on developing the game, there's a lot of, it doesn't feel like work in the same way that programming a game or working on the art for a game does, but trying to even just get the word out about the game, there's... Yeah. You're almost doubling your workload, and yeah. it's yeah. hard to see the effects of that. Whereas, like when you finish a level, you know, like okay, I put in this many hours, and that's how long it took to finish this. But marketing is a very ethereal thing to me, and I don't, I don't think I'm good at it yet. But we're figuring it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, two separate jobs you have to have to manage. Right. Yeah, right. It's a lot yeah. of brain switching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It takes a different type of effort. Yeah, and that's a topic for I would say a whole other show. <laughs> 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 transition that was yeah, pretty smooth very slick thanks for having us on again guys this was really fun yeah thank you yeah, guys thanks for having us on before we do our outro um let's remind everybody where they can find your stuff online if, if you go to astralgunners.com you will find links to all the important things including the steam page the twitter we even have historical leaderboards as we're updating the game in early access so oh, cool. cool it's still worth playing for high scores right now because we are saving those leaderboards cool. um but yeah astralgunners.com so that's a-s-t-r-a-l-g-u-n-n-e-r-s and we will put all those links and things in the show notes as usual that's our show check out our website nicegames.club for show notes and links to the things i just said we would put links on We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and on our programming in general. Go to nicegames.club slash feedback and tell us what you think. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and no-code tools. Or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Want to support the show? Thanks! There are so many ways. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about your favorite episodes. Join us on Discord by visiting nicegames.club slash Discord. I mean, after this episode, yeah, we're going to mention Discord. (laughs) And also, we're on Patreon. As a patron of the show, you'll enjoy bonus content, extra jokes, and more. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. But I think we should have you guys back yeah. when uh, when Astral Gunners is in the rearview mirror. I would love to hear a further postmortem on the whole project yeah. uh, when that comes. Would you like to come back? And sure, do that? absolutely. I'm, I'm promising There's... that to listeners now. So, <laughs> um, yeah, let's let's do like a ten episode special because I think we got about ten hours of stuff to talk. No, I'm just kidding. Well, it's our podcast now. So. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.